Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin, the place to get to meet the people of Austin and find out how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morris. And after his numerous journeys trekking all over the United States, we have back our co-host, Joel McCall. Well, I guess you could call a soiree into Oklahoma a venture into foreign lands. Wait, you went to a more foreign land than that. You went to Florida. Well, that's true, but <laughs> most Florida. recently. How about that? <laughs> anyway, um, the guest that we have today is kind of interesting because um, I actually met her, it's got to be almost two years ago, at a meetup for podcast. And um, we got to talking a little bit, and I was really interested in, in what her subject matter was. And so I thought, wait, let's get her on. That will be an interesting guest. So joining us today is Thea Wood. Hi, Thea. Hi, Bob. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on the show. And you too, Joel. Good to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. So Thea runs a nonprofit organization. You want to tell us a little about that? Absolutely. Uh, Horizon Music Foundation is the name of it. And uh, we envision a, a music industry where women, any woman can make a living based on merit. And so we do that based on providing programs that provide education, experience, and role modeling for the next generation of women in music. Wow, that's, that's a big bite. <laughs> That's right. A very big bite. Big Apple, too. Uh, <laughs> one of those things, and, and Bob, uh, how we met up originally at the podcast uh, meetup was because one of our programs is called Backstage Chats with Women in Music. And it is a podcast where we share the stories of trailblazers and rising stars in the music industry. So some of the names you'll recognize, and some of them, uh, uh, a lot of them are behind the scenes or doing things that usually aren't celebrated in the media. Media, but we need to know about if we want to get the real picture of what's happening, you know, with the music that we all love. Oh, fantastic. You know, it's music is such a mystery to non-musicians. You know, they just, they, they come to a club, they see people perform. They have no idea of the effort and time that goes into a, the musician learning to be a musician, B the, running of the venue, C, the booking of the gigs, D, the promotion of the career. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I think what you are attempting to tell the world is very important. Well, thank you. Yeah. And you know what? We have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, the podcast is not just for musicians or people who are big music enthusiasts. The stories that these ladies share are very relatable to most people. Uh, they're entertaining. They're inspirational. Uh, we get some really good juicy nuggets uh, that you might not hear somewhere else. So that's always kind of fun. And uh, a perfect example was we interviewed Jackie Benson, who is a Texas rising star. If not in Texas, I consider her a superstar, but um, she's a rising star nationally. And she started talking about um, the imbalance, the cultural imbalance that is in the Austin music scene with regard to representation of African-Americans. And it was a precursor to what happened right before COVID, where she ended up um, bowing out of an invitation to do Blues on the Green, because she said, you do Blues on the Green and you don't hire African-Americans. And she's like, and if I go and I keep telling everybody we need this balance, and then I say, okay, to work with a group that isn't fairly representing the people I represent, what does that say about me? Her taking that one stand ended up changing how Blues on the Green thinks about how they book. And they said, I'll tell you what, Jackie, they said, we want you to produce a show and we want you to book it. And so she booked an all African-American show that, much to her credit, half of the acts were female, right. which That's is impressive. also very unusual. And she covered all her bases to make sure that the representation was there and that she could get the ticket. Well, they don't have ticket sales on Blues on the Green, but the draw that she could get the promotion, they ended up... Um, 
broadcasting it. I think it was on the local Fox network. I mean, it was unbelievable the amount of um, enthusiasm and support that it all had received. And the cool part was, is that our listeners got to hear her personal perspective aside from what was public and having on Blues on the Green about what she sees in Austin's music scene and how it can change for the better to be more inclusive. Good stuff. Yeah, definitely. So do you find that uh, some of these younger artists, uh, the female artists, are better at promoting themselves than maybe some of the older ones are? That's a good question. I think that they're better at using digital media Mm -hmm. to promote themselves. And part of that is because that generation is how they consume uh, those promotions, you know, and that's how they watch their favorite people. I mean, you know, my son will hop on YouTube and spend two hours watching videos on YouTube. I don't do that. What do I do? You know, I get a movie and pop in a movie, you know, I don't, I don't go to YouTube for my entertainment unless it's something very specific that I'm looking for. So um, yeah, in that regard, absolutely. I think that they've, they grew up with it. They're naturals at it. Um, I think it's harder. I'm, I'm putting myself in, you know, that I'm a Gen Xer. So with the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, there's a lot to be learned. Um, it's not impossible. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, like, Joel, you just told me you've been playing music for 40 years. Is your target audience consuming the promotions via digital? Or are they reaching out to you or expecting you to reach out to them in different ways? I'm finding that putting flyers on walkers is working really well. (laughs) No, Joel's up this basically right. And, you know, this... Uh, this whole COVID pandemic thing has really brought to light the importance of knowing how to turn on a computer, knowing how to uh, live stream. And and nobody's going to put this genie back in the bottle. No, you said that right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us some of the things that your foundation does to help female artists. Per se. Sure, I would love to. Let's see here. The first one is this one is dearest to my heart. It is a scholarship grant program that provides for teen girls in need to attend music camps and sound camps. And just for those who uh, want clarification on that, a music camp is more about musicianship and playing together as a band and learning you know, all the skills that go along with that. And then sound camps are for um, girls and those who identify as to be able to understand the technical sides and maybe start working on audio editing, um, engineering, producing, being a tech, um, getting, it's, it's more of like, you know, the STEM side of music creation, if you will. And so uh, we partner for the music camps with Girls Rock Austin Uh, which is uh, they actually have girls rock Alliance chapters in different cities, but of course we want to help our Austin girls out. And then the second one is soundgirls.org, which is a national organization. And uh, because of the pandemic, going back to the technical changes, they're doing a virtual series uh, online this year. And so um, Carrie keys, who's one of their co-founders and, Also, just as a side note, for Pearl Jam fans, she's been their uh, touring audio engineer for 23, 24 years. Wow. Um, Brilliant lady. Brilliant. So, um, you know, we're working with her on doing a grant for that so that girls from all over the country can participate. Because right now, as statistics show, only about 3% of working music producers are female. Let that sink in. We need more of that. So this is the this is a way for that to happen. So that's one of our programs. I've already mentioned the podcast, which uh, I'm the host of. So you'll backstagechats.com if you want to check it out. It's a pretty cool little fun podcast. And then um, the third thing came about because of COVID, which is a program that we're calling Random Acts of Music. And we are connecting uh, female artists with 
virtual event hosts to add an entertainment element to their meetups online. So whether they're professional meetups or social meetups or personal meetups, you know, we're all kind of, I think, suffering from Zoom fatigue <laughs> and we're trying to find what can we do that's different and exciting and um, engages people as well as sets the mood maybe for, for our event, um, attracts more uh, people to sign up. And so why not book someone? And the greatest thing about this is that uh, the, the virtual host pays Horizon Music we, ha we have a database and we'll find a musician, three musicians that fit your bill of what you're looking for. And then uh, we help you determine who that's gonna be. We help promote it. We're the ones who pay them. So you just pay us, it becomes a tax write-off and we make sure that these women are able to work while they're at home. And um, I think this is especially helpful for women in the music business industry music business industry who for years have struggled with how do I tour and raise young ones? So nuts and bolts question. Mm -hmm. So you are basically the agent for these women and bridging with uh, other groups that are doing online stuff. Technically, what are you using for them to stream? Okay, so bleh, I'm trying to get this in. I know at New World Delhi, we have been doing live streaming. And yes. it has run the gamut from a beautiful professional show to just a horrific uh, presentation, sound and video-wise. Because... <laughs> Let's face it, 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 it's it's a frontier out there. You know, so how do you maintain the quality of the women that you are booking as far as their performances? That you know what, that's something there there are a couple things to pronged answer at this point. This is still a very new program for us. We've only done a handful of these, and so we're still on a learning curve. But number Number one, we've been using Zoom, mainly because that's what most virtual hosts are using, right? So you use what they're using and you accommodate. We have dress rehearsals the day before so that everything is set up. We know what the artist's background is going to look like, how they're going to sound, how this is all going to work. We always make sure of that so that the host and myself and the artist are all on the same page the day before. And then the day of the event, we have everybody arrive five minutes early. We do a quick second check and then we move forward. And then, you know, if they want us to record, we record on Zoom, that kind of thing. Uh, the second way, which we're working on with a group right now based in Detroit, is um, we are going to pre-record it from the artist's either home studio or whatever's comfortable for them, wherever they would like to record and they feel they have the best setup. And we're going to pre-record it, but script it so it looks like it's live. Hmm. Right. And I've seen a lot of that and it's it's really fun. It, it adds a whole new twist to the music ability. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you have to be an actor also. But. That's right. That's right. So a little bit of acting, but you know, it's, it's not so hard when you think about all you have to do is say, hi, everybody. Just pretend like you have a live audience in front of you and thank your host for inviting you and say, I'd love, you know, to see you all again. And you know, if, if you're talking personally to people, even if it's pre-recorded, they'll pick up on that. Sure. Yeah. It's, I, I've watched quite a few, some of them, we're not as successful as others. <laughs> no, like, and yeah, yeah, and you know, technology, love it, hate it. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic so idea. What is your musical with. background? Oh, I pretend to sing <laughs> in the shower and in the car mostly, um, and then um, the I, I played piano growing up. I was in a Youth Chorus, uh, Michigan Detroit Youth Chorus, shout out to all my peeps who are were there and continue to be every year. It's still a functioning chorus. It's an acapella chorus that's affiliated with the church. And um, I did that when I was in high school. What I realized 
is that I wasn't a great performer, but I loved music and I loved being around musicians in the, in the scene in general. And um, I love writing. So at that point in time, I really didn't know that there were any other options in the, directly within the music industry. So I started becoming a journalist and covering music. And that was my way of participating um, is sharing the stories, which I love. And it ends up, I'm 10 times better at that <laughs> than I am at writing or, you know, songs or singing or, or um, musicianship. So it, that worked out. But again, part of what I love about these camps and the, the awareness that we're spreading is that there are so many other roles that you can take on within the industry. You don't have to be on the stage performing. And here are some of the other things that women can discover that they can be a part of. Because I think part of the reason why the numbers are so skewed toward male, uh, you know, professionally, is that a lot of women don't know all these options exist and they're not in an environment that teaches them that. So let's give them that. Cool. Yeah. So that... Um that was a wonderful idea you came up with during the pandemic uh, to allow people to uh, have performances, say, within their meeting or something like that. What is, what is the runtime normally for something like that? Do they book them for two or three songs or half hour, an hour? What? Actually, it depends on what they're looking for and what their budget is. So, um, and and then what kind of musicians they want because different musicians have different budgets. But what we're finding is kind of a sweet spot is having, if you have an hour long, for instance, uh, starting off with a song, because then again, you're setting the mood and the tone for the hour. And then maybe 15 minutes later, you have another song. And then another 15 minutes later, you have another song. And by the end of the hour, you've got four songs that have popped up um, and and it just makes the time flow so well. And people say, oh my God, the, the feedback constantly for me is, wow, that hour went by so fast. Nice. And how many times do you hear that about Zoom? Yeah, <laughs> especially <laughs> meetings. <laughs> um, so so that's, a, that's a big one, but some people wanna do it where it's maybe like a halftime break, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, they jump in and, and they're the filler in the middle. There, there are a variety of ways that we can set it up, but you're quite right. It, we do it, you know, we, I typically talk to my girls about, I say my girls, my women, about the four, well, we deal with so many teenagers, but um, we, you know, we, we usually say around four songs for the hour. And that's how I set them up for how I know to price things uh, is based on that. Because like I said, part of the money, paid it's really a form of a donation it comes to us and then we split it with the um artists based on what their budget and what their scale is their pay scale so just a humorous question here do they have to sit around and listen to the whole meeting some do <laughs> um some some actually well because a lot of these aren't necessarily like a board meeting or, you know, a sales meeting, but something that fun that they're doing for their employees or in our case, uh, what the first one that we started off with was a jewelry show with Kendra Scott. So we did it in conjunction with Kendra Scott jewelry, uh, Austin based. Woohoo. And, um, we had our 2020 rising star Izzy Jane perform and she performed three songs on her, uh, guitar, uh, and it was live. And I'm telling you, the second song she sang, she wrote herself. And I said, I would love it if you could share the story behind the song. Well, can I swear on this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll it's be damned if that girl didn't make every single person in that room cry. Wow. <laughs> nice. And as a result, everybody now follows her. Everybody now gets what our mission is and what we're trying to do. And they, it, 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 we sold a ton of jewelry for Kendra Scott, who took a, a percentage of sales and gave them back to Horizon Music. I mean, nice. look at all that magic that's happening all at once, right? Oh, yeah. We're encouraging a 14-year-old who, by the way, and she's very open about this, so I can share this with you, who uses music 
as a coping mechanism for her bipolar disorder. Wow. So we're really reaching out to girls in a way that helps them with mental health and, um, and building their confidence and squashing imposter syndrome. It's huge. It's an amazing combination. How powerful is music, right? Right. Now, that's one of the things, though, I've always loved about this town is, is people find a way to help each other, and it winds up helping both of them in the end. You know, I mean, it, it's, it becomes bigger than just either one or the other doing something. You said it. And it, um, I think Austin is a really great example of how um, collaboration beats competition every time. That's how you build a scene. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't build a music scene by saying, oh, I don't, you know, I'm a musician, but I won't play with that musician, or I don't like that musician, or I, won't, I don't like their music. You, that's not how you build a scene. You build a scene by saying, I love them, and I want to go see them, and you should go see them too, right after you see me. <laughs> well, ask Mr. Booking Agent over there. <laughs> he can tell you all about that. It's what, it, yeah, as a booking so, agent, you count on that. How big? Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's, uh, so I get deluged with people wanting to play and I need to ask them those questions and not sound like a mercenary. Yeah. You know? So what's the toughest question you have to ask them, you think? Um, is anybody going to come here you play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, uh, Somebody, okay, so I I was on a panel at the Southwestern Regional Folk Alliance, and I was on the venue side, and it's like somebody needs to tell these people how to go get a gig. You know, it's like, you know, send an email, send a clip of how you sound, (laughs) you know. And if, if possible, send a clip of how you sound live as opposed to here is my studio album with the uh, London Symphonic Orchestra on it. Oh, by the way, I'm a duo, <laughs> you know. But uh, so I, I would imagine that that kind of fits into the purview of what you're doing with the foundation with the with your girls, your women. Uh, so how big is your foundation? Is it Austin? Is it Texas? Is it the United States? Is it? Can I answer D, all of the above? Yes. Yes, D, all of the above. We have our, our scholarship grant program, like I said, splits between Girls Rock Austin, which is very Austin-centric, and we always want to give back to our community because that's where it's based. And then, but soundgirls.org, national, right? So they are the ones, because it's a grant, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. They already know how to uh, register their people and find out who needs financial aid and then apply our the money that we send over to them so that they can determine where that financial aid goes. So yes, in that regard. Now, Backstage Chats with Women.com or, or Backstage Chats with Women, our podcast, is um, international. And in fact, 20% of our listenership is outside of the United States okay. with a surprising number two country in listenership, India. <laughs> nice. I mean, who would have thought? I never would have thought. I thought it would be Canada because English speaking close, big, right? Nope. Or, you know, maybe England or something. Nope, nope. India. And our second is who? France. France. Mm-hmm. You just, it, it, it's unbelievable. And, and again, the power of the connections on this, because um, our first year, right out of the gate, I think we had maybe six podcasts launch at this point. And one of them was with Juno Black and Willis Snow, who both do sound at One World Theater in Austin and sound, and all over Austin. I mean, they're just well known to, you know, they take on gigs everywhere, but they work primarily at One World Theater. And um, I had 
somebody post a message saying, hi, my name is blank. And I am the only female sound engineer in my country. She's from Africa. And she said, how do I connect with other female engineers? Wow. Only one in her country. And now, of course, which country it is, is escaping my brain because this was a couple years ago. But I immediately hooked her up with soundgirls.org and said, you need to get involved with these ladies. This is your tribe. Yeah, literally. (laughs) This is your tribe. This is who you need to connect with. I mean, this is amazing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Um, So, you had mentioned this this young gal who was using her music to cope with her bipolar situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Grammys, I have a friend who worked for the Grammys, uh, started a uh, part or, or, or started an arm of the Grammys for Music Cares. Oh, which, yes. was, which was about substance abuse and like that. Is that part of your outreach? Oh, boy. That's such a tough one to take on. Mm. I don't know if we're prepared to do that at this sure. point. Um, but I will say that um, for the podcast, I interviewed a woman named, named Hope Young, who is one of the leading international researchers in music therapy. Uh, she is based in Austin, Texas, lovely lady, internationally known. And I sat down and talked to her about that. And she said something that stuck with me that I never knew before. She said, the reason why music is so powerful therapeutically, whether it's for, you know, chronic illness like MS or Hodgkin's, or whether it's for mental health issues, whatever it may be, she said, is because music is the only stimulation that we know of that when we're exposed to it, lights up every single region of the brain simultaneously. Wow. How's that for powerful, right? How's that for how do we harness this Mm-hmm. and help and turn it into a healing tool. So she gives tips for anybody who wants to go and watch it or excuse me, listen to it. It's, you know, backstagechats.com, Hope Young. And um, she talks about how you can use music to help with anger, with depression, with all kinds of things. Um, and so I highly recommend that as if, if you're interested in that topic or, or helping yourself or self-help, that might be a good springboard into learning more and, and, you know, exploring and researching what it can do for you. In Izzy Jane's case, just naturally understands it and gets it. Plus she's talented. And so it gives her that creative outlet. If she's having a bad day, she knows she can turn to that to make her feel better. No, that's excellent. I mean, that, that Sorry is... Sorry about the dog. Oh, is that your dog's? <laughs> that's funny. It's my it, dog. It's somebody's, always somebody's dog. Mine was going off earlier, but I don't know if you could hear it. <laughs> um, so, I know you've been back and forth between several locations, um, but what originally brought you to Austin? You know, uh, back in the early to mid nineties, I guess it was about 1995 or 96. I visited Austin with an old boyfriend who was a musician, of course. (laughs) And, uh, I kind of fell in love with it, but we were only there for the weekend and I thought I got to come back here. I got to come back here. Actually, that was probably about 1993, 94. And then I started working for America Online and um, starting up their music channel. One of the things that they wanted us to do was have a presence at South by Southwest. So we packed up and came down here and I was down here for a week and was just completely blown away 
uh, and the difference because at the time I was living in the Northern Virginia, Washington, DC area. And I specifically remember looking at the producer who was with me and I said, one day I'm going to live here. In 1998, uh, a talent, or, well, I guess you would call a recruiter called me. I was not looking for a job, but a recruiter called me and said, I have a job opportunity in Austin, Texas for you. Uh, would you consider a move to Texas? And I said, well, that depends. So we talked about it. It was for a company called DejaNews.com. I don't know, some of you may be familiar with it. News groups were their big thing. They were making some changes and turning in, turning part of their business model into a comparison shopping portal, uh, which eventually became eBay's model. They bought Deja and long story short, they had key ingredients that I liked. And I sat down to my and I said, Oh, my God, I love this job at AOL so much. Can I actually make this move, even though I really want to be to Austin. So I did what Tito beverage of Tito's vodka bringing that Austin thing back um, did, which I split a page in half. And he said, you know, do things, you know, split it into different parts, you know, reasons to do this, reasons not to do this. And he's got, his, he had his little formula. My little formula was reasons to stay and reasons to go. And of course, in my reasons to stay column, my number one was my job. I loved my job. But in my reasons to go column, I had 30 different reasons I wanted to be in Austin. And I said, I know I love this job but I'm being offered a job and they're paying me to move. Why wouldn't I'm single? I didn't have children. Why wouldn't I take that opportunity to go? So I didn't know anybody. I packed, I put in my two week notice. I packed up everything. I got into a U-Haul with a girlfriend of mine who said, well, I want to go on a road trip. I said, all right, let's go on a road trip. We road tripped it down to Austin and you know, the crazy part about it, Bob, is that the job, I moved to the live music capital of the world and my job had nothing to do with music. Yeah, that's why I was wondering if you wound up here somehow out of writing for music, you know, like you said, you were doing that, that maybe you were writing for some magazine or something and wound up down here. But that's interesting. Yeah, it was the tech, it was the tech business, you know, the tech industry moved me down and they were using all the same skill sets that I'd built up. It's just that it didn't, it, the content wasn't music centric. So what was the first musical act you saw when you came to Austin? <sighs> Let me think about that for a second. Okay. I was with my friend, Stan Wilson. Stan, shout out to you. He... Great. Yo, befriended Stan. me. Yep, he befriended me at the uh, at Deja News, and said. And when he found out my music background, he said, "Well, we're going and seeing some live music together." And I think I remember it was Steamboat. Yep, <laughs> remember Steamboat on the corner of Sixth and what was it? Oh, it Brazos maybe. A block down from Brazos, block down from the Driscoll. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Okay, yeah. so it was, yes, and it was on the corner. And if I recall correctly, it was, um, oh, what the heck was the name of the ska band that? Um, the Lotions, Pressure, uh, Papa Molly. No, oh, although Papa Molly was a great one too. Uh, uh, what was uh, you're going to have to edit this while I rack my brain? Uh, Bob Schneider's band. Oh, the Scabs. Oh, uh, the Scabs? No. Oh well, he had he had one before that. Ugly Americans. Joe Rock or? Oh no, 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 yeah, no. This one, this one, I think was called. It was definitely Bob Schneider. I could and have Kathy, she'll know. <laughs> it was the scabs. It was definitely the scabs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. I'm 99% sure that it was the scabs. The, uh, Boy, if they were that, together in 1998, it was the scabs. Yep. They were, and what an introduction to Austin music. And that was my introduction. And I looked at Stan, I said, you were the best tour guide ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so what are your, some of your favorite haunts to go to to listen to music? 
Oh gosh. Okay. So, um, in Austin, my favorite haunts, uh, and apparently this one's reopening is the one-to-one -one mm -hmm. that's down on South Lamar. And uh, first of all, I think they book such a diverse group of acts. It's unbelievable. And, and many of them are female acts. So super duper kudos to them. And like I said, they're reopening under new management, but I hope they use the same booking strategies. And it's in a strip mall, which might turn a lot of people off. But as an old person, I'm here to say, I like having plenty of parking. And so <laughs> well, in Austin, plenty of parking. In Austin, that's a real plus. Yes, it's hard to find. So yeah. I love that. Um, another one that I love, of course, is the Moody Theater. I mean, it's yeah. just great. It's a great experience for your larger bands. And then they've got that, what is it called? The little 310, Austin, the, 310 the 310 that's below mm -hmm. it for the smaller acts. I saw Michelle and Dougie Ocello, Ocello there. Are you familiar with Michelle and Dougie Ocello, the bass player singer? Let me tell you. I cried through the entire performance to the point where this woman behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you going to be okay? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I said, she just made me cry. Um, so that's always a fun show. And uh, let's see here a little bit more edgy heading over to uh, red river. I like going over to empire control room. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of fun for some of that more, you know, I miss thread girls. I used to love going to thread girls. Mm -hmm. Kind of bummed about that. Saxon pub is great for Thursday nights. For some reason, I always found something fun and relaxing to do on a Thursday night at Saxon pub. Um, oh wait. And then there's a uh, sixth street, second story. See, the pandemic has killed me because I haven't been out in so long. I'm starting to forget all the names. Second story, the guys who own Empire Control Room bought it, auctioned. It was auctioned on like eBay or something. That, um, that white imagine. building with the rooftop? It's, it's, it's all inside. It used to be an old theater. Hmm. I know exactly where it is. I don't know what it is, but I know exactly where you're. And the, and they um they didn't change the name. Hold on. Again, we're going to have to edit a lot of this out. Oh, My no, music theater on six. <laughs> we don't edit anything. <laughs> so that people aren't like, come on, parish the parish. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I've heard of that. The parish. Uh, for me, at that point, and I don't know now that we're reopening and things have changed if it's still the same deal. But I thought that the um the acoustics and the sound and the soundboard and everything they had there. I thought it was one of the best sounding venues for smaller venues in Austin. It just really always sounded really good, but you know what guys, this is like picking a favorite baby. I mean, <laughs> Sophie's choice, <laughs> right? I, it, there are just so many good live music venues. And the great thing about Austin is each neighborhood kind of has its own little vibe. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this and you don't live in Austin, don't just check out like Sixth Street or Rainy Street or South Lamar. You got to like spread the love because everywhere you go, there's a kind of a different vibe and a different scene. Yeah, that's that was, exactly right. Right. Well, that was one of the things that I, I found interesting as our population started growing here was... Uh, the people that moved downtown where we had the live music venues and then they started complaining about the sound. It's like, yeah, did you not check it out before you moved in? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought that's why people wanted to move here was, you know, to get to enjoy the vibe. And it's like, well, you turn that noise off. <laughs> and who was here first. Yeah. Right. And it, the other personal beef that I have with that y'all is that they get if, you're, if your apartment or your condo is right next to an outdoor live venue like Stubbs, oh, that's another one, love Stubbs. Um, <laughs> I mean, the fact of the matter is you get priced accordingly to put up with the noise. Mm -hmm. So you're going to pay less per square foot in that rental or that position than you would for something that's maybe two blocks away that doesn't have the noise. And that's what irks me the most is you got the discount on the place knowing where you are and yet you're still going to complain. Uh, a venue that used to have a lot of problems with that is the mean eyed cat. Oh yeah. 
Because the people who owned all that land around the Mean Eyed Cat sold it in the, I guess it was early 2000s, and they built these apartment complexes. And then the people who were in the side of the apartment building that was right next to the Mean Eyed Cat started complaining about the outdoor noise. And it's like, but this place, thank God it got historical designation so nobody could, you know, plow it over or what have you. But it's one of those things where you went into this, like you said, knowing that this is here. And I know for a fact that being in those end units close to the venue, they got a break on their rent. And yeah. yet um, Chris Marsh, who owns that venue, constantly having to handle issues with the police and the neighbors and the this and the that. And he was just doing what he always did. Yep. God bless John and Cash. Yep. That's right. Well, you know, um, when I, first moved here some friends of mine and i rented a house down on uh deep eddy and we used to it, take advantage of it i mean when they used to have aquafest out there you remember that we'd sit down on the front porch and drink beer and listen to the music it was like free concert yeah isn't that great well and that's the other thing is um you know there are these hidden little gems like you've been around austin long enough deep eddy cabaret oh yeah <laughs> total dive bar right uh their owners uh the bridges well there are a number of them but will is kind of the will and his wife are the kind of forward-facing folks they introduced they were like well what can we do to bring people in so they have dj they turned the basement into a little area where they have djs now and then they huh. i think it's what night is it i think it's tuesday nights maybe Oh, you got to look it up on the calendar. But um, I don't know about post-pandemic, but before the pandemic, the bartender would bring in red beans and rice and a handful of guys would clear off a table and sit down and play acoustic bluegrass. And people, any patron could just walk in, help themselves to red beans and rice, order a beer and sit down and listen to music. And it was so informal and very relaxed. And, you know, most people wouldn't even know that's going on, but it's happening. Yeah. See, that's the Austin that we know and love. That's what I fell in love with with Austin. That's yep. right. That's exactly right. Well, it sounds like your guide took you to the right place right off the bat. So you got a good introduction. I mean, that was a real unique band because they had horns and stuff like that. So that made it a lot of fun. Um, it was. So what other things did do you enjoy doing in your time in Austin? You know, um, are y'all some of those people who eat out a lot? I do, unfortunately. I, I, I say unfortunately because it's from like the lips to the hips. But... <laughs> Yeah. Yes, it's true. But um, I do love to eat out. Um, big things for me were walking around Town Lake. Mm -hmm. You know, the, that's just because I lived in the Deep Eddy neighborhood, I could just walk across the street, go back behind Deep Eddy Pool and walk around Town Lake. Going to Deep Eddy Pool was always a good time. Uh, it's, gosh, I mean, there was just so much. How do you, a lot of outdoor things. I like being outdoor. The Kite Festival, ah, so much fun. Um, Austin City Limits Festival, the South by Southwest, the, and of course, I know I'm seeing a lot of music-centric deals, but no, that's, that's, what fine. that's what we're talking so about. great about kinda. the town. There's always something like that happening, right? Um, what else? I like that it's, you know, you can drive into San Antonio on a whim and go be on the river walk. Uh, how, or, or see the Alamo. How cool is that? We've got, um, you know, and, and the other thing too, is I know all the, all the old timers and everybody's been there for a long time say, oh, it's so awful that Austin's changed so much and it's too big and the infrastructure is busting, which is all true. I mean, it's, it's growing too fast for its own good, I think at this point, but at the same time, it's also introduced a lot of new people and new ideas and new designs and concepts like the new public library that's downtown is astonishing. Uh, it's helped promote patrons for the arts. So like the modern music, the modern art museum, the, um, the paramount, um, 
you know, all of that is benefiting from this growth. The, and of course, there is a downside. For instance, for me, one of the things that I am concerned about is that Austin is getting is outpricing itself from musicians, and musicians are having yeah. to move because they can't afford to live there. I know that's, that's one. That's something we've discussed on other versions of this podcast, and you know, I know Joel is quite aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right, so is this the part of the podcast where I make the announcement that I moved to Detroit? You can. I, You know, we kind of broke our own rules this week, but um, I think Thea's still involved enough here that we still consider her an Austinite, so... Yeah, I kept I kept the foundation there. I, all of that is staying there, um, and I'll be traveling back on a regular basis because I do love it so much. And I have a, I, you know, Austinites are my family. But um, yeah, I just moved two months ago, and it's one of the things I'm, I'm in the Detroit metro area. And one of the things that I love about Detroit, and this circles back to Austin, is it's got that kind of Renaissance early energy that you felt like in the early nineties of Austin, mm -hmm. where it started to really build. I'm feeling that here. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we're really going to see some amazing things happen with the Detroit music scene that is going to rival what happened with Motown. Well, because that's what I'm feeling. Detroit yeah. is, if you were to make a, a, a monument to music. You'd have Muscle Shoals, you'd have Detroit, you'd have Nashville, you'd have Memphis. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, and of course the LA and New York, but you know, yeah. those are givens. <laughs> those right. are because of all the record labels. Exactly. So, um, I know, weren't you originally from Michigan? I was. In fact, uh, I haven't lived here full time since 1987 because I went to college in Ohio. Uh, so it's kind of, it's coming back full circle, coming home. Uh, Shelly King talks about home a lot. And I think of her music uh, a lot in, during my transition of moving back to Detroit. The, um, and it's changed so much in a very, very good way since uh, I had left because inner city Detroit was just in shambles mm -hmm. for so many decades after the race riots in the sixties that it's almost like people didn't even know how to handle it. And, and now after the tech bus that happened and, and, you know, the recession that happened, uh, I guess it was about, what was it? 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe it's, it's rising from the ashes and there are amazing pockets of cool things to do and uh, micro brews, interesting clubs and takes. So what I decided to do, and this is completely informal, this is just for my Facebook friends, is last week I started a, a series of posts on Facebook called Detroit D Dives and Diamonds. I'll say that again, Detroit dives and diamonds. And each week we're picking a different place. It's the rediscovery of Detroit and what's there now. And so we'll pick a place and my husband and I will go and I just take note and I take some pictures and I give a very short review on this is what to expect. This is where we had fun. These were the people that we meet, met and you know, here's where it is. We tag it. And it's, it's kind of fun to see, you know, okay, well, do, did we have any place like this in Austin? No, which is unusual because I thought Austin has everything, right? Well, last week we went to a bowling alley called Bolero that's in Royal Oak. And, you know, it's spelled B-O-W-L-E-R-O. Uh, and we went in there and the woman, Kelly, because, of course, I ask a lot of questions, who, who designed the interior concept recreated a 1970s style bowling alley nice and it is beautiful and authentic and it has a dj booth that's all vinyl and it has foil wallpaper all over the walls the bathrooms are trippy um and they're and they're co-ed 
And they have, you know, the low lit side lounge with a window that overlooks the alleys. And in that side lounge, you know, they've got the, you know, friendly kind of salty bartender who, you know, it's the simple things. And you sit down on your swivel bar stools with your little red candle top candles and they're playing 1970s cartoons on the television. <laughs> wow. Love it. I love that. Love it. Oh, and on twice a week, I think they said Tuesdays and Thursdays, they have, they have live music with, as our bartender Greg said, sick bands that pack the place. So I'm like, okay, well, well now we got to put it on, you know, the list of things to do on a weekday to nice. see what they do. Yeah. But I mean, we don't, we don't have anything like that in Austin. And no. I thought, Hey, we found something new and this is really cool. So you just never know. Right. But my question oh, is. Tiger Run Day Hall. Yeah. It's been a bowling oh. alley since 1890 something. Okay. How come I haven't been there, Joel? Where is this? You have to be a check and you have to be a member. Oh, well, so I have you a had to be sponsored. <laughs> I guess. So have you found a decent breakfast taco there? Nope. <laughs> okay. We'll send you one. Yeah. There you go. If, if you were to order a breakfast taco, what would you order? Oh. Okay. Or do we want names of places or do we want ingredients? Let's Definitely. start with ingredients. Right. What is your perfect breakfast taco and where would you get it? All right. I've got two answers for that. Okay. My first one, and this sounds bizarre, but Taco Deli's bean and cheese taco on a corn tortilla. Now, I don't know what they put. I'm thinking it's crack because they're highly addictive. There's something about those. And usually something as plain Jane as a bean and cheese would do nothing for me. You get that and you throw on their medium red salsa, Roja, whatever they have. Holy moly. I don't know what it is about those, but I can eat two or three of those and then go pass out. Uh, the second one I would have to say I think the second one would have to be Torchies. I'm a big Torchies fan. And I'm allergic to gluten, everybody. So that's why I have to say corn tortilla because I can't have, sadly, I can't have flour tortillas anymore. But um, I would have to say the old standard of a bacon, egg, and cheese. Right? Torchies has the greatest green sauce yeah they do it's got a nice tang and their eggs are always cooked yep. perfectly now the thing though of mexican i guess you could call it tex-mex really food that i miss the most since i my few months that i've moved away magnolia mud are you all familiar with magnolia mud no, no. talk to me <laughs> what am i what this is I the reason this is why i moved to austin and gained 20 pounds my friends Oh, Magnolia Mud. <laughs> because my apartment building was two doors down from Magnolia, which right. is a 24 hour diner for those who want to put it on their list. So you can go there anytime, day or night. And I used to walk in at two o'clock in the morning after a Friday night at Deep Eddie, go across the street. Uh, you know, Jimmy Vaughn would be there hanging out. You never knew who was going to be mm -hmm. hanging out there at two o'clock in the morning. And I'd order Magnolia Mud, which is queso with black beans, sliced avocado, uh, pico, and extra tomatoes and onions thrown in. So when you mix it all up, because of the black beans, it looks like mud. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. And once again, this is why I gained my freshman 20. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Austin. Well, I've got something else that you're going to be jealous of. Now the HEB has started carrying these uh, frioles. And, you know, I don't typically think anything about those, 
that one way or the other, kind of like you, it's like, hmm, big deal, refried beans. They're putting chorizo in it. Oh. No, I mean, it is It is so good. <laughs> you know, it's, it, many people don't know this, but chorizo is Mexican for crack. <laughs> I thought that's what the black beans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You can put chorizo on anything, and it's immediately transported to a new level. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I have to say, if you're a meat eater, it's up there. Yeah. For sure. And if you're not, it'll make you think about it. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for you two. Yes. Of newer restaurants, do you have any recommendations? Like, Thea, next time you're back in Austin, you got to try this new restaurant. Wow. Uh, Laurel on South Lamar, it's uh, Frank, who's the guy? Aaron Franklin's. Franklin. Aaron Franklin. Oh, Franklin's Barbecue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's that guy and the uh, founder of Uchi got together and they have their own restaurant now. And it's fantastic. Joel, you're breaking up a little bit. That you sit outside and you bring your dog. I'm pretty, I know the Franklin's guy is, is in it. I think it was Paul Key is the uh, executive chef from Uchi. Yeah, Paul Key. Oh, was it? Tyson. Oh, yeah, it is. It's Tyson Cole. Tyson yes. Cole. Yeah. Tyson. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Thank you. Man, that Uchi. Oh, I mean, it's. Oh, yeah. But Laurel, that's. That Laurel. would be okay. one. Well, my brother came down from Minnesota. That's where we took him. And Bob, what about you? And he's a I was trying to think. Um, where was it we ate the other night? I can't. I'm blanking on the name of the restaurant. Uh, Short-term memory, first to go. I know. No, I can think of the ones we ate at, you know, every couple of weeks or whenever we go. But, there, I mean, there's a dynamite uh South American food restaurant about two miles from me, maybe. And there's a, there's a dynamite uh, Cajun restaurant. But what was the one we went to? They are so good, they don't need names. That's right. You just need to know well, where they the, are. Well, the problem with yeah. the, uh, the South American restaurant is it changes its name every couple months. <laughs> I don't know why. It's the same owner. I'm like, where are you running from? The other one's called Cypress Grill, the Cajun place. What are you running from? Yeah, it's like you make good food. <laughs> so, he's just trying to find a brand that'll stick. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, he's had oh at least three different names since he's been there, and the menu doesn't really change. You know, maybe it, one country added or one taken away or something. But the first right. time it was something Cuban, and now it's I don't know. I just Are you talking about over. Havana and South Congress. No, South, no, no, no. Was that is, South First Street? This is Westgate, down far south. Okay. William Cannon okay. and Westgate. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Another one tucked into a strip Now mall. I'm hungry. Yeah. Now we're hungry. I know. Now well, it's getting hungry. to be dinner time. Yeah. And so we're going to head kind of over into wrapping this up. But I did want to ask you one question. Um, since you came here the first time to cover South by Southwest in 98, that was still... A, it was starting to get big, but it wasn't huge at that point. That's right. So that's right. When's the last time you went? I went. Okay, so um, the year before the pandemic, I went. I had a full pass, and the in twenty twenty, Horizon Music Foundation was accepted as a as a charity, an official charity, I guess, if you will, who received a free booth at the convention center nice. for the week, which was so amazing. And we were so excited. And Penny Jo Polis, who's mutual friends with us, she, um, she was one of our volunteers. We had eight volunteers who came together. We did training. We got their uniforms. We've got the materials. We bought stickers. We created custom signage. I had a uh, commercial interior art uh, 
consultant donate her time and her graphic services and create the most incredible looking booth you would ever imagine. I mean, it was just so cool. And there were photo opportunities and we had a setup so that I could do podcasts, live podcast interviews. It was going to be the bee's knees. And we invested a ton of money and we were so excited. And I think it was five days before the conference. Yeah, because everybody was freaking out. Before the conference started, they canceled because of COVID. Because mm. mm. they, they kept saying they were going forward long after people were going, are you sure about this? Are you sure about this? This is kind of, yeah. But, it yeah. was awful. And you know what's crazy, guys, is I found out not through, even though they sent an email, I didn't find out through the email. I found out because I think either a radio station or a television set, somebody had announced it before mm-hmm. I had a chance to read any emails. And all of a sudden, my phone just started blowing up. And I was like, what is going on? And I kept saying, I'm in the middle of conversation. And I kept putting it to voicemail. And finally, after the like sixth or seventh call, somebody texted me, pick up. You have to hear South by canceled. And I just, just oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But yes, it, it, and Bob, to your original point, boy, what a change. I mean, so different. The multiple hotels, the multiple, mm-hmm. I mean, levels of the convention center, the complexity of it. Quite frankly, I think that that entire conference is nothing short of a miracle every year that it happens. Well, I got here. The coordination that goes into it is unbelievable. And I really, really do hope they survive. I know that this year they did kind of an online version of it. Um, I wasn't able to participate because that was right in the middle of my move. But I have to say, it's, you know, I, I pray every day that so many people lost their jobs. Yeah. And going back to what, you know, Joel was saying originally, a lot of folks don't realize the behind the scenes. And when all of a sudden 10,000 people are out of a job because one festival, or should I say, you know, one conference is canceled, it really hits home. And especially when those people are people you know personally. So my fingers are crossed that people from the industry and and especially liquor distributors because they lost a lot of money and all these other people get together and say, okay, we want to build this again. And, and who knows, maybe from the ashes, it's like the Phoenix, maybe something really incredible will come of it. That's totally different than ever would have happened if things just carried on how they had been. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope. I mean, I, my fingers are crossed. Well, I got here a couple of years before you and when it started out, there was basically a stage at each end of sixth street and you would just walk back and forth down sixth street and see different bands, you know, while one was playing, the other was setting up. My, my partner and I played in the first couple of them and, you know, sixth street, you know, they would just, they they would have daytime music. That was the big difference. Mm -hmm. But I noticed over the years as it kept growing, you know, you would have more bands, you'd have more clubs, you'd have all this. It started actually attracting people here because they have it, you know, it's a nice time of year here, folks. <laughs> and so people would come in, but I think it drove a lot of the growth, you know, in one oh, yeah. way or another. Just being able to come here in a nice time of year, hear all this music. Yeah. Unfortunately, they priced me out of tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and unfortunately, the main thrust of its origins was to promote Austin musicians mm-hmm. who had not signed, been signed to labels. And now Austin musicians can't get in. So there's, there's a certain amount of, of uh, disdain, f- you know, from the local mm-hmm. musicians about South by Southwest. But when you look at the face of it, Oh my God! I mean, it's it's world famous. Mm-hmm. It's it's an incredible event. And I really think part of that too is that as they grew, they saw the need for a music industry event that was bigger than just Texas or Austin-based musicians, and they turned it more into an industry event, right? 
that catered to people within the industry versus, you know, more showcasing the acts and the bands. Because when you think about it, it's the speaker panels. It's everything mm-hmm. that's happening at the convention center that has really blown up, right, along along with the music. But that part is unbelievable. I mean, you have hundreds of people who have booths there. You've got hundreds of panels and, and courses and podcasts going on and everything else. I mean, it, it, and it's so diversified. And then they added film and then they added tech and now there's education. I mean, this is a full-blown STEAM event in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's almost a month long now. It's and, huge. And it, it's a, a must be, it, it, it's, a, it's a must in each of these industries. Oh, oh agreed. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm Good hoping point. if they get their act together um, and you know we're able to have this, that maybe you will be able to put all that uh, stuff you have printed up and things to use and actually have a booth there. And just go through and cross through the the year. Yeah. You know? Okay. I have two of my signs over here off to the side, and I've got boxes over here with. I still have the stuff like here, just in case I need it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but I will say. Uh, it does look like we're going to have some presence at Utopia Fest this year, which is in October. Oh, cool. So if uh, people want to drop by and say hi, oh, my God, I would love to see you. I would love to you know, meet people in person, tell you more about Horizon Music and what we're up to, and, uh, have, and have you get some swag, because, of course, we'll have swag for sale. Cool. So, um, well, I think probably we're going to have to wrap it up on that point. Um, this has been a joy. <laughs> I don't know about you, yeah. Joel, but it, this has been fun. But Thea, I want you to plug, plug, plug away now. Thank you so much. Uh, again, the name of the foundation is Horizon, and I should spell that H-E-R-I-Z-O-N. Horizon Music, because it's all about women. Uh, Horizon Music Foundation, and the podcast is Backstage Chats with women in music. And you can just go to backstagechats.com or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And um, if you would like to email me, because I always want to hear from people, go ahead. I answer them, info at horizonmusic.org. So info at H-E-R-I-Z-O-N music.org. Drop me a line. I would love to hear from anyone. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Thea. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you. And Joel and Bob, you as well. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And I can't wait until the next time. I hope we have a next time. Yeah, no, let's I'd, do it next time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and as always, friends, I would ask you if you enjoyed this as much as we did, please share it with a friend, tell a coworker, whatever you need to do. But let's get the word out there and have some fun. So we'll see you next time on the Trail to Austin.